prayer -er. prayer -er. a prayer person yeah. someone to pray thank you Sam <laughs> somebody else talk to Jesus okay. go ahead and pray pray <laughs> Andy Andy does he already have like too many prayers on his punch card? Is that what it is? He gets, he gets a free blessing. You pray seven times to get a free blessing. Alright, let's pray! Dearly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Lord, thank you that we got to come out and just have fellowship with one another and just Lord, already have a fun time so far before we even got to the lesson. Lord, I pray, um, Lord, that you just open up our hearts when Stephen does talk about relationships. Uh, I know we're all in high school, and it's just a crazy time, Lord. But I pray that as far as our relationship with you and then even with others, whether it's friends, um, family, or a dating relationship, Lord, that our heart would be in the right spot um, as we transition out of high school because then we're taking steps into adulthood. Um, Lord, I pray just for all the ministry opportunities this summer, whether it be camp, BBS, Mexico, or witnessing opportunities, uh, Lord, that we would just take advantage of them and redeem the time. And I pray also in Jesus' name. Amen. Redeeming the time. This has been our series for the past several months. We are now in the dating and relationships aspect. Um, love this photo. Pretty much my favorite. So heading into this one, we're going to be talking about the emotional, how to prepare yourself emotionally. And I couldn't think of any other, uh, you know, kind of a, I guess you could say the better way to prepare ourselves emotionally than by listening to Cool Carl. Yes! Because, yeah, we'll do a little bit Cool Carl. So if you haven't seen this video yet, this one's absolutely phenomenal. That's how you should kiss. It's, it's so good. Uh, yeah, this is the Camp Rules guy. Don't kiss, Too many fish in the sea? <laughs> One too many, I say. I'm just looking for someone to run away with me. Also, someone who understands the value of sacrifice. <laughs> not really a fan of the bossy type. Uh, so if you tell me what to do, I'm probably not going to listen yet. Love at first sight? Yeah, but I'm not a fan of seafood, though. So, hi, I like to have fun. I'm not a fan of seafood. I'm King who uh, likes to show his emotional side. All sides, actually. <laughs> I'm in search of a strong woman, but who is also able to communicate, especially if you're trying to make a life altering decision. Like, uh, long, roofed up walks. There's a lot of fruit. That's the one you <laughs> like to play the heart. But I'm not going to play your heart strings. Heart strings. Really don't want to choose, so if you're into that, no thanks. My name's Saul. Changed my name to uh, Paul. And uh, we get things off. Maybe I could change your name. <laughs> Last night, right? I've got a lot of free time now. Especially because I'm nothing. Oh, don't buy me with your beauty. <laughs> Been there, done that. I'm just looking for someone I can really see myself with. <laughs> Maybe you can uh, help me work out. You know what they say, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. <laughs> I'm a loyal guy. This is real great. I'll never betray you. I'm ready to start not consuming fire in your heart. You know what I mean? I just want to hang out. I'm a patient guy. I used to have to thousands of people complaining all the time, so. It's on the cheap right here. Very cat. I love travel. Really sad about meeting a lady who's focused on the future and not looking back. I'm a smart guy, not a and uh, when it comes to wine, it's the more the better, you're right? I don't like salty women. Very close to my daughters. Just looking for a woman of my dreams. I love right now I'm looking for my honey. I'm willing to give up anything for you. I don't have anything, but I really hate birthday parties. So looking forward to moving in with somebody. Hopefully you're not a slob like my roommate. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty good with the uh, with the sword. Well, I'm a strong man that's looking for any girl that can make a 
That's the first woman I know. I love to look at things. I hope I never lose that. No denying that. Look for a woman who is respectful, loving, honest, uh, just good-hearted, kind, good cook. Just uh, looking for a woman who's very inspiring. Uh, you know, someone that can really turn my back to. Are you zooming up on my head right now? You feel like you're not measuring up? You never had that problem with me. Are you zooming? I may have tiny hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, anywho, yeah, that was phenomenal. I love that one. All right. Very close to my dog. You're 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 gonna you're gonna have to go back and watch that one again to really get the full like to really appreciate the full you know jokes. yeah all the jokes in that one they're quite funny. All right. So so heading into relationships. So somebody explain this to me as a, a bit of review. So explain this picture. You guys have seen it enough. You guys should know what it is. Connor. If you get closer to God, you'll get closer to your significant other. If. What? When? No, if. <laughs> if what? We're missing something. Yes, absolutely. So if you, no matter who it is, so on the left side, that's you, question mark, that's somebody else, could be a dating relationship, friendship, whatever. But if you want to grow closer with God and that person wants to go closer with God and you both are focusing on your relationship with God, then the closer that you will be together. Now, this is just simple. This is just very, very logical because you both have similar things in common. You both love the same things because you love the Lord. And so if you're in a relationship or a friendship with somebody who has no interest whatsoever in, in falling in love with God and getting to know Him better, then what's going to happen? <laughs> Explosions? Is that Sam setting people on fire again? Yeah. What's going to happen? There's two results that could happen. Yeah. You're either going to like reach a point in your relationship where like that's all the farther that you can go you mm -hmm. can't grow any closer or you're going to have to cut off yeah yeah or you're going to have to compromise I mean that's the other side of it either you say you know what this friendship is more important to me than God and many people won't ever say that with their mouth like I, I know very few people that say I love God but yet when you look at their life their life says otherwise because no one wants to say, I don't love God. Like, who would want to say that? That's ridiculous. But it comes out in your behavior because your beliefs determine your behavior. What you really believe comes out in your life. If you really believe that people are lost and dying and going to hell, then you will be deeply concerned about that. And if you have an opportunity to share the gospel, you'll do it, even though you're nervous. Because you care more about their soul than being afraid of what they think of you. You believe God over your feelings. And so your beliefs always come out in your behavior. The key is for us to be honest about it. That's the hard part. The hard part for us as human beings is being honest about it. Because we always want to make ourselves appear better than what we are. It's part of human nature. We need to be honest. And one of the best ways to be honest is to look at what God has to say and say, God, I need you to search me and try me. And just be 100% honest. And if you can't be honest with yourself, then go to someone that you know will be honest with you and ask them questions. And some people are afraid about that. But I'm telling you, you will grow leaps and bounds if you are willing to take the risk to do stuff like that. Okay, so this is a great, great picture for us to follow. And then again, ladies, your goal is to be a virtuous woman. Fellas, you're supposed to be looking for a virtuous woman. Proverbs 31.10, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. She is so rare, so rare. But it's worth waiting for. And we talked a lot about that last week. And then guys, and this is what you're looking for, ladies, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. It's very difficult to find a faithful man, someone who is full of faith, someone that you can count on, that is a man of their word, that has character. Some of those things we're going to be getting into tonight is part of the emotional preparation of your own heart when it comes to dating. All right, and so we spent some time talking about this and how God's way is that He wants you to focus on the spiritual side first. And then after you work on your foundation of your spiritual walk personally, and that other person has a good spiritual foundation, then you can start to move on into more of the emotional side. And we'll talk about that uh, tonight. And then next week we're going to be talking about the physical and the importance of uh, physical purity and why the Bible takes such a strong stand on it and why it's under such great attack today. Uh, I believe full, wholeheartedly that there are so many different different attacks going on, attacking God and His Word and His standards when it comes to uh, sexual purity, um, and even just 
sexual standards in general. I mean, attacking gender and things like that, it's not a coincidence. Having full access to, to, to things from your phone, it's not a coincidence. The enemy knows exactly what he's doing. And he's putting you in the right place at the right time to trip up and to fall. And you need to make sure you know what God says. So last week talking about the spiritual and growing your spiritual walk. This week talking about the emotional, and then next week we're going to talk about the physical. But when it comes to the world's way, they have this completely backwards. The world always, always, always looks at the physical first. This is always what they're attracted to, the physical. And then they move on to the emotional, the things that you might have in common, likes and dislikes. And then if they ever get around to it, then they'll talk about the spiritual. So the world always approaches this from an opposite perspective. And that shouldn't be of any surprise, because God's ways are always in opposition to the world's ways. Or should I say the world's ways are always in opposition to God's ways. So it's important for us to understand that and we shouldn't be surprised by that. So let's talk about the spiritual or let's talk about the the emotional side. We talked last week about spiritual. Let's talk about the emotional side of how to prepare ourselves emotionally. All right, so take a look at your study sheet. Okay, so number two, emotional. The emotional part of a person is referring to what kind of person they are like. It can be surface things like their interests and annoyances, or deeper things like their character, values, and overall personality. These characteristics are likely to change over time, especially as the spiritual part of a person grows and matures. The best way one can mature in this area of life is by learning to let the truth, rather than emotions, lead the decision-making process. We don't do a good job with this, but that's what we need to learn how to do, is not letting your emotions drive your decisions. It's easy to let that happen, but you need to learn how to let the truth drive your decision making. Let's take a look at a couple of these verses. Go over to James 3. James 3. And someone else will go up for me the other two. Psalm 51.6. Who like that one? Psalm 51.6. Carson. And then uh, Psalm 119.30. Alana. So go to James. James chapter 3. This is one of those verses in the Bible that I really feel like is just loaded. It is absolutely loaded. James 3, verse 16. Somebody read this one for me. If you'd like to read it. Go ahead, Emily. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion. And who's the author of confusion? The devil is. We talked about this this past Sunday. Not God. God is not the author of confusion. That's 1 Corinthians 14.33. God is not the author of confusion. The devil is. So where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Anytime you're in a circumstance where envying is involved, envying or strife, any sort of fighting or any sort of I want something that I can't have or this person is envious of that person or there's any sort of selfishness going on that creates great strife between two people, there is confusion in every evil work. So you better know that going into it. And that will give you great biblical discernment on how to handle certain issues because you know God's not in this. Your flesh is in this. The enemy's in this. There's spiritual warfare going on and it will help you to be able to see it from a, a bigger perspective. And we don't, we, don't, we don't like that. When emotions are driving things, when emotions are dictating decisions, there's envy, there's strife, there's confusion almost every single time. And the only result of that is evil. Listen to Psalm 51.6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Okay, you have to desire truth in the inward part. Now, this is David speaking, and of course the context is Bathsheba, where he committed grave sexual sin against her, against the nation, against God. And in this, this particular psalm, he says, you need to desire truth on the inward part. And then read the last part of that verse again. And in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. The hidden part inside of you is where God, he reveals wisdom. He reveals understanding. So the first step in actually getting wisdom and being prepared spiritually is, like I said at the very beginning, you have to be 100% open and honest with God. And you've got to talk to him about it. And you have to know your shortcomings, your weaknesses, your strengths, everything there is to know about you. Come to God in truth and say, God, I need you to teach me. I need you to search me on the inside. And I want truth to be in there. I don't want my emotions to dictate what I'm going to do in this circumstance or how I'm going to do that. I mean, I've seen myself and I've seen a, a bunch of my friends and I've seen a bunch of other students that have made decisions on dating and in relationships that have been solely based on emotion. How they feel, 
how that person feels, how they make me feel, how we feel together, and I'm telling you, almost 100% of the time, I'll give it 99, 99% of the time, it never ends well. It never goes well. But you see a relationship that is based upon truth, objective, biblical truth, and almost 99% of the time, it goes extremely well, extremely well. So you have to know that about yourself. But at the same time, we're emotional beings. So there's nothing wrong with your emotions. You just have to know them. They have to be submitted to God's authority. You have to let the truth of God drive your emotions. Like, it's not a sin to be angry. I mean, the Bible even talks about that. It's not a sin to, to even be passionate or to be excited or to, be, or to fall in love with somebody and to have those feelings for somebody. But if they are not girded with the truth of God, they are going to go all over the board. And they are going to lead you down some seriously destructive paths. It's almost like the truth of God is almost like reins on a horse where it keeps it in check, where God is able to take the truth of God and he's able to hold your life back and, and really keep you in check as you keep going through life making decisions. So you've got to know that. All right, Psalm 119, verse 30. <clears throat> I have chosen the way of truth. My judgments have I laid before me. I love this verse. I have chosen the way of truth. It's a choice you have to make. Before you even get in the circumstance, you have to make that choice. And then it says right after that, in thy judgments I have laid before me. Okay, that's the only way. You've got to come to God and say, all right, God, I know how I am. Now, it took me some pretty serious mistakes before I came to this spot. But I had to come to God and say, all right, God, I know how I am. I know that I am fiercely loyal. I know that I can tend to give my heart away way too fast. I know that I, 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 I want to have a relationship and I desire that, but I need you to help me. So I need to come before you. I need to lay your judgments before me, and I need to seek that truth to be on the inward parts of me, and I need you to teach me and guide me. You've got to do that. You've got to do that. And again, if you don't know how to do that, or you don't know yourself well enough, because that might be the case, sometimes I've had to make serious mistakes to know what's on the inside. And sometimes that's the only way that can happen. Um, but I'm telling you, if you have close people in your life that are willing to tell you the truth, they will see things in you you cannot see for yourself. There's aspects of your character, your, the patterns of your decision-making that you're just too close to yourself. And so you need someone to come into your life and say, hey, I'm really concerned about this. Or, yeah, I'm this over here. What about this? Or that kind of criticism should always be welcome. Always. Don't be so insecure that you're not willing to allow criticism to come into your life to make you a better person, especially if you want to honor the Lord. So... That's very important. I love that. All right, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and consider these following questions. These are great questions to ask yourself, and we're going to divvy up some verses as we work through this as we uh, answer some of these questions for yourself. So be 100% honest as you work through this. And maybe there's some things where you're doing a decent job, but you just need to do a little bit better. All right, so here's the first question. Am I a diligent servant? Am I a diligent servant? And what this means is that you are a hard worker. You're a hard worker. People know you as a hard worker. You can be counted on as a hard worker. Anytime you're involved in something, you're going to give it your all. Are you faithful? Are you someone that people can count on? When your name comes up, people don't hesitate. If you think about your reputation, that's, that's what comes to mind, that you are faithful. There's very few faithful people very few faithful people that you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you can count on that person. Are you trustworthy? Can you be trusted? Can someone put something in your hands and say, I need you to be responsible for this and you're going to follow through on it and you're not going to drop the ball? Or are you going to overcommit just because you're a people pleaser, which I can tend to be? I can overcommit way too much and then I'm stretched too thin and then I end up doing everything mediocre rather than doing things well. It's important. Are you responsible? Do you take responsibility? When something's your fault, you see your fault in it and you admit it quickly. You don't defer the blame. I'm responsible. This is me. That's really what it means to be responsible. It's not just someone who's trustworthy. I'm talking about it from this end. That you own up to your mistakes. And if there are things that you could have done better, even if you only are at fault for 1% of it, you still own up to it. Or if you see that something needs to be done, you look at it and you can't let that go. You have to be part of the solution. That's important. That's an important part of your character. Let's look at some of these verses. Go to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27.
Proverbs 27, verse 23. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. So from a perspective of a shepherd, be diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. How could you apply this verse within those questions that I just asked about being a diligent servant? Why would this be a good verse to support that biblically? Yeah. Well, it just makes me think of like, I guess in our lives specifically checking up on the rest of the people. Yeah. You know, part of my responsibility being a part of this ministry is that when I look out at each of you, that I can get a gauge as to your strengths and weaknesses and where you're at spiritually. And some of you I know, and some of you I don't know. But that's part of my responsibility. And I can generally tell by the way you carry yourself, your countenance, your interests, the way you participate, uh, other things that are going on, the decisions that you're making that I see, the way you're interacting with people, who your friends are. I can generally evaluate overall how things are going. Now, there's always the deep recesses of the heart that I can't see that only God can. So I can only take that so far because there's things that I can't see. So I can't be over judgmental. God doesn't tell me to do that, but it's part of my responsibility to, to know the state of my flock, to know what's going on, to see you know, are there any issues, are, are there any problems, are there any things that I need to address, are there anything that I need to jump in and help out? Is this something that if I were to get involved, would it actually make it worse? Or should I just let it go and let it see if it's going to work its way out? Is it something that maybe my wife should handle versus me or that Bobby should handle versus me? Is this something that maybe I should... No, I'm not talking about Andy. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, this, <laughs> is, is this something that, that maybe I need to have a conversation with a parent first? Is this something I need to go get counsel from the other pastors before I handle it? I mean, there's all sorts of things that go into this that people don't even think about. And so you being part of the flock and you being responsible you should really know what's going on with each other. You should. But more than that, think about your own personal life. Are there any parts of your life that are just lacking? Like when you, if you were to take uh, an analysis of your life and just sit down and look through each aspect of your life, are there things where you are weak that you know it and you just disregard it? You can do something about it, but you just choose not to. Well, that's going to be a weak spot. And you got to know the enemy knows that. One of the things you've got to understand, especially in the realm of dating and just spiritual walking with God in general, the enemy knows the state of God's flock. He knows the state of your heart. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows your buttons. He knows your, your switches. He knows everything there is to, to get you where he wants you to be. He has done this for thousands of years. And he knows exactly, exactly how to push you the right way. It's one of the reasons why on Sunday morning we're talking about when Satan speaks in the times where he shows up and God records his verbal words in the Bible and how important it is for us to know that. So if the enemy knows you and God knows you just as well, then you ought to do what God tells you to do already is to say, God, search me, know my heart, try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You should know the state of your own heart. You should, before God. Not for you to just understand yourself, otherwise you're going to get into a huge mess of what's going on today of people not knowing their own identity and then they're identifying as all sorts of nonsense out there today. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about knowing who you actually are. And God knows the state of your heart better than anybody else. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. I love it. The heart is deceitful, desperately wicked, above all things. And then it ends with the question, who can know it? The next verse, verse 10, who, what is it, who, who does it say? Who knows your heart? God does. The Lord is the one that searched the reins, and He tries the hearts. He knows you. And so you should know that there's great comfort in God knows me, and yet He still died for me, which is amazing. He knows me better than I know myself, and He still died for me. I can go to God and say, God, show me my blind spots. You know me. You know my blind spots. You don't want the enemy to get a, a foothold in my life. So why don't you look at me and, and, and try me and see? Because and I, I, I need to know. And sometimes God will put you in circumstances that show your blind spots. Because that's the only way you can really learn. Sometimes he allows a circumstance to unfold in your life between you and your parents, you and your friends, or even just a tough decision you got to make where you got to hold the line on something and you're scared to hold the line on it because he wants you to see what is in your own heart. 
It's not that he doesn't know. He already knows. He wants you to see it. He wants you to know what's inside there. So that way you can yield it to him under his authority and his control. And so that way you can actually glorify him the best way. Go over to Mark 10. Mark 10. And Sam, go ahead and look up Philippians 2.20. Mark 10. Mark 10, verse 44 and 45. All right, someone read that for me. Go ahead. For even the Son of Man can... Or wait, 44 and 45? Yeah, 44 and 45. Uh, And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to to minister and and to give his life a ransom for many. So all over the New Testament, Jesus calls himself, he is the pattern. And Paul says that Jesus is a pattern. And even Paul uses his own life as a pattern. And here Jesus says, however it works in the world, that's not how it works in my economy of things. If you want to be the chiefest, you have to be the servant of all. If you want to be a leader, you have to be everyone's servant. Which means there is no room for who? Yourself. There's no room for it. And there's a lot of people that when they count the cost, they're not willing. Like, okay, yeah, I want to get saved, but I don't want to be a leader. Okay. You can do that, and you can be a miserable Christian for the rest of your life. But the pattern laid out for you is that this is that pattern. God has called you to be selfless in almost everything that you do. And as you grow in your spirituality, you will become selfless more and more and more and more and more. And here's the crazy part. And this is the part that amazes me. We think somehow that we are going to lose something when we choose to be selfless. Like, I'm going to lose part of myself because I'm giving that over and I'm now obeying God. And so somehow obeying God is actually a detractor. He's taking something away from who I am. Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. I felt that way before. Okay, that is a flat out lie. I have found in every, every time, every time that I have chosen to do it God's way rather than my way, it has always been the best, the most fulfilling, the most satisfying. The, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't even measure it. I have found out, and this is crazy, this is crazy talk, I know, from a humanistic perspective. I have found out that pretty much in everything, God is right and I'm wrong. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's crazy. It's one of those things where, huh, how about that? And so I have learned as I've gotten older that I can't trust myself. I can't trust myself. I can't trust my thoughts and my feelings and my emotions. But what I can trust is God's thoughts, God's feelings, and God's emotions. So it's very hard for me to to rewire that in my thinking. But this is why Jesus spent so much time with his disciples, and even they didn't quite get it. But then he gives himself as the pattern. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. If there's anyone that deserved to be ministered, if there's anyone that deserved to be glorified on this planet, it's Jesus Christ. Hands down. And here he says, that's not why I came. I came because I wanted to serve everybody else. I didn't come to be ministered. You need to have that mentality. If you want to be a diligent servant, a hard worker who's faithful, trustworthy, and responsible, it cannot be about you. And I know sometimes our flesh comes in and wants to get super selfish, and it's just the way our flesh is. But you have to understand that that's not, that is not going to be profitable at all in your life whatsoever. Read Philippians 2.20. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Okay, so that's Paul speaking about Timothy. And he's sending Timothy to the church in Philippi, and he said he's going to take care of you. And what I love about this is that Paul spent time with tons of people. And he had more than just one disciple. But that statement that he just said, I have no man, no man minded like this who will naturally care for your state. He will come in and he will treat you as his own. He will treat you like gold, and he will care about you, and he will love you, and he'll be compassionate towards you. I don't have anyone like that, just Timothy. That's a huge statement, huge statement. But Timothy was a hard worker. He was faithful, he was trustworthy, and he was responsible, which is why Paul sent him to do that kind of stuff. So are you a diligent servant? You may be a servant, or you may be a weak servant. I don't know. Just evaluate yourself. But are you a diligent servant? Are you someone that can be counted on when no one else can? Are you someone that can be handed something that's difficult and you'll handle it right? 
Are you someone that when you see something wrong, you do something about it? Are you someone that when you've, you've committed a fault of any kind, that you step up to the plate and you take your own on that? And you say, yeah, that's my fault. You need to be that way. That will build your emotional stability more than you ever understand. Our culture is terrible today because they are emotionally unstable. And the reason why they're emotionally unstable is because they're not hard workers. They're not faithful. They're not trustworthy. They're they're not responsible. Everybody wants to defer blame. Everybody wants to get paid for not doing jobs. I mean, it's insane. It is absolutely insane. And our government loves it. And it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Not in God's kingdom. God says, nope, I don't care what everyone else does. What are you going to do? And are you going to be this kind of a servant? Second question, and this one's a totally easy one to, to ask yourself. Am I humble? <laughs> You're going to pull a humble brag on this one. Am I, am I humble? Am I humble? So how can you evaluate if you're humble? Well, let's take a look at some of these subpoints. Are you teachable? Are you teachable? Are you able to be taught? This is a very important question. Can someone come into your life and offend you and you can handle it? Yes. (laughs) Can someone come to you and say things that are hard to hear and you take into consideration what they have to say because you know that they care about you? And even if they don't care about you, do you still take what they have to say and evaluate it on the canvas of your life and say, you know what? They are right about this. I do tend to do that. You need to be teachable. Are you able to resolve conflicts biblically? (laughs) Not just resolve conflicts and have the upper hand and just crush your opponent. Biblically. Are you able to handle it biblically? Do you handle it God's way? There are times in your Christian walk where it is better to have peace than to be right. And it is hard to discern that. It's hard sometimes because we so badly want to be right about stuff. I have this fight all the time with Lucas because he wants to be right about everything. Even this past week, it was crazy how it all worked out. We were, uh, I, was, I was talking to the kids, it was just me and the kids at home, and, uh, and something unfolded where I thought they were messing around there in the other room because parents have this, this keen, you know, supernatural ability to know what's going on even though they're not there. Um, and so I made a judgment call, and, and so I thought that Lucas was messing around because it's his pattern, it's what he typically does, and he ended up saying something to the girls, and I thought that he was joking around, and then he responded back to me in a very disrespectful tone. So he and I are going to have it out. So what ended up happening was, is that he was right. He, did, he wasn't messing around. But he blew the whole thing out of proportion so badly and had such a terrible attitude because he wanted to be right, that now he's in trouble because of his bad attitude towards me. It's no longer about the circumstance. Now it's about how he's talking to me and how he's fighting with me and how that never goes well. So I didn't punish him because of what he didn't do. I punished him because he had a bad attitude, because he was defending himself so hard and so passionately to the point where he was being very disrespectful towards me. And, and that's one of those things in, within parenting that I had to try to communicate to him. And finally, it really clicked with him. And he so badly wanted to be right. I'm like, dude, it's not about being right. Like, that's long gone. <laughs> now we're talking about something completely different. And there are times in your Christian walk where you've got to understand that you can't be right about this. Because if you push it and you're going to be right about this, it is going to damage your testimony. It's going to damage God's testimony. It's going to destroy any opportunity to minister the Bible or to share the gospel with somebody. It's just going to destroy it all. And so you have to take this circumstance and just say, you know what, God, I need to trust you with this. There are so many things that are going to be hammered out at the judgment seat of Christ and that are going to be hammered out at the white throne judgment that God's got it. He has things. There are certain circumstances you just have to leave it in His hands and that He's going to properly judge it one day and you have to have peace with it. And it's very difficult. And then the third part about being humble is that you're not only teachable and able to resolve conflicts biblically, but you are considerate of other people. What does it mean to be considerate of other people? To consider their thoughts and feelings and well-being. Thank you, Webster. (laughs) Yes, to consider. Let's use it without using the term and definition. I always hate that when Webster did that. To be considerate. Uh, The act of being considerable. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. To think about what they're thinking and their side of things Pretty much what you said, except you <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all right. That's all right. We can build. All right, Andy. 
I am very considerate about our kids' feelings here, and I always have their best interest. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. All right, all right. That was so hard to say. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, get him a gag bag back there. All right, go ahead. Gag bag? Yeah, you had your hand raised. I did, but that's because I didn't see any other kids' hands. Okay, you want to add anything else? Uh, Whatever room you're walking into or situation you're walking into, thinking about others before yourself. Mm -hmm. And thinking of how cold. <laughs> thinking about how they'll feel if you were to say this or do that or go out of your way to just think about them. Yeah. Make them comfortable, make them welcome, make mm -hmm. them be heard. Yes. Love. You're thinking about others before yourself. I, I, you know, one of the things that I was raised. My mom did, uh, I mean, she was on top of me all the time when it came to being considerate of other people. Thinking about how would someone else feel if, if, if that person said something to you? Well, if you said that to them, how would it make them feel? I mean, she was so good at that, so good at that. And I just, I still remember there are certain kids growing up with that were in my class that I went to school with that other people picked on, and it made me mad. It made me mad because I'm like, you're a jerk. Like, why would you do that? Why would you call somebody that? Or... You know, I still remember a kid, uh, his name was Austin, and he was always more heavy set. And, and people made fun of him all the time. And I got mad at him. And I was always Austin's friend when no one else would. I remember there was another time that uh, this one guy, um, who actually later on was in our, our youth ministry. Um, you? No, 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 it wasn't Andy. Oh, was What's Andy. that? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that was Jeff, and that's another one. Yeah, that's another example. I was, I was thinking of, of um, uh, I can't remember his name. Anyway, whatever. But I remember that we were in middle school, and uh, he was picking on this girl to the point where he, like, shoved her to the ground. What? Yeah. Dang. And so, like, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a fighter in that sense. Like, like as far as the circumstances, as far as the circumstances are concerned, like, I don't, I don't pick fights with people. Um, I, I don't like uh, confrontation. I try to avoid as much as possible. I, I always prefer more of the political approach to try to resolve conflicts. It's just the way that I'm wired. But when that unfolded, I'm like, all right, it's on. And I went up behind this kid, and I shoved him to the ground. And I'm like, you don't do that. No. And I'm like, I'm like, why would you shove her to the ground? That's, that's ridiculous. Like, it was one of those things where it just came out of me. And then he stood up, and he was going to, like, fight with me. And here I had two other friends that stood at my left and right shoulder who were bigger than I was. And they said, and they said hey, if you mess with Steven, you mess with us. And I'm like, thanks, guys. And, <laughs> And it was one of those circumstances where I'm like, you know, there, there, there's always a line. There, there has to be a line in your mind that you, you've got to be concerned of other people. I, there are way too many people out in our world today, and even in our own hearts, we can be way too selfish. We think about what we want, and we don't think about what other people want. And it's a shame, because if you do that way too much, you're going to lose out on opportunities to serve people. And if you lose out on opportunities to serve people, then you're going to be stunted in your emotional growth. You are, because you're thinking only about you. And selfish people are never emotionally stable. Never. Never. If you think more about you and your agenda and your day than you do about the people around your, your circle and in your world, you've got a problem. You have a huge problem. Because if you're not considerate of other people in your life, you are not going to be considerate of what God thinks. You're not going to give a rip what God thinks. You're not going to care about His opinion at all. At all. And so you can't be humble. There's no way. Go to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. This is probably the best one to look at before we move on. Philippians 2. Again, Jesus Christ is the pattern. And this is probably one of the best chunks of chapters, ch chunks of Scripture, chunk of chapters, whatever. <laughs> chunk of Scriptures that really articulate this very, very well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Let nothing... Let nothing, let no thing, let no thing, nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Because remember what we just read in James 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is exactly the same mindset that Christ had. This is the reason why he went to the cross. If he was thinking about himself, he wouldn't have died on the cross. He wouldn't have. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was thinking about what God's will for him was. Remember his prayer in the garden? 
Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It doesn't matter what I think or what I feel. I will do what you have told me to do. Weak Christians do not do this. They don't do this. Because it's impossible to be a strong Christian that truly loves God and is a hard worker for Him when you don't have this mindset. So if you're not doing it in the little things, you're not going to do it in the bigger things. So take note of that. Am I humble? Thirdly, am I honest? We've already talked about honesty so far. Go to Acts 24. Acts 24. Am I honest? Acts 24. Am I honest? Someone who is honest, they are not a hypocrite. They don't say one thing and do something else. They don't behave one way at church and another way at home. They don't behave one way at school and another way at church. They don't. They don't, they don't live that way. They're not a hypocrite. What you see is what you get. They're not deceitful. They don't hide things. It's very important. Acts 24, verse 16. Someone read that for me. 24, 16. Go ahead, Kevin. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense, offense toward God and toward men. Okay, so Paul gives a good line here, and I love this. Herein do I exercise myself. So that means this is going to take some work. We, are, we don't naturally think this way. It's going to take some work to get our minds and our hearts to this point. Herein do I exercise myself. It's a daily thing that he does, a moment-by-moment thing that he does. To have always a conscience void of offense toward who first? God. And toward men. Okay, with God, it's always possible to have a conscience void of offense. It's always possible because he knows you and you can't hide anything from him. And so you and God can always be on good terms. And I love that about God. I love it that no matter what's going on, how many mistakes I've made, how many times I've messed stuff up, I can always go to God and he and I can have a clean slate. He and I can agree on stuff where I know that he's right and I'm wrong. I I wasn't thinking right about this. I didn't behave the right way. And he and I can always be on the same terms. But when it comes to men, you can't always do that. Men and women living through this world, people are going to think what they're going to think, and you can't control what they think. You can't. You can do the best job that you can to have a conscious void of offense. I've done my part to do what's right in the eyes of God in this circumstance and with these people. But at the end of the day, you can't control what people are going to do. They have a free will, and they're going to think what they're going to think. And if they're going to continue down a deceitful path, then it's their right to do that, and they can do that. And God will deal with them on that circumstance. But this is what Paul always did. And I'm, I'm telling you, if you are willing to do this in your life, man, God can do some great things with you. And you will be a very stable person. While everyone else in your life is going to be like this, in their emotions, up and down, just an emotional, dramatic roller coaster, you're just going to be like this. You're going to be super steady. And it's not because of you. It's because of you and God. When you and God are on the same terms, when you guys are on the same page, He's stable. Malachi 3, 6, I love it so much. I, the Lord, I change not. God does not change. He is not up one day and then down the next. He is not that way. He is stable. So the closer you are with God, the more stable you will be. It's just common sense. The closer you get to God, the more stable you will be, and the less your emotions are going to take you all over the place. And then lastly, and this is another very good question to consider, because if you're honest and you're not a hypocrite and you're not double-minded and you're humble and you're a diligent servant, then you need to ask yourself this. Am I able to lead others spiritually and emotionally? Am I able to lead others spiritually and emotionally? Uh, Let's go to, um, somebody go to 1 Corinthians 11.1. Someone take that one. All right, you got that one. And then everyone's go to Titus 2. Titus 2. Titus 2. Am I able to lead others spiritually and emotionally? Now, here's how you can find out. Here's how you can find out if you're able to lead others spiritually and emotionally. You have to be spiritually and emotionally stable first. You have no business giving spiritual or emotional counsel if you have not walked the path yourself. Absolute no business doing it. If you are not walking with God, and if you are not letting God work in you, you have no right to interfere in someone else's life and to tell them that what they're doing is right and wrong. There's no way. 
because you're being a hypocrite. You're not being honest. It kind of goes back to the last question we just asked. So you've got to learn how to walk with God first. How can someone tell you, here's how you walk with God, when they have never walked with God? This is one of the biggest problems I have with uh, teachers and college professors that don't have any experience. I have found out that experience, when it comes to the workplace, is way more valuable than the hours that you sit in a classroom. Now, I get there are things in the classroom that you get and that you'll use in your job. I totally get that. But it doesn't mean jack squat until you get out on the field. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, everything you learn in the classroom completely changes once you get out on the field and you see how it actually applies in real life. This is why when it comes to, to ministry training, when I, when I felt that God had a call in my life for ministry, I didn't want to go away to Bible school. I thought that was like one of the worst decisions I could possibly make. Because if I'm going to be a pastor in a church, then I should be trained in my church. Like it just makes perfect sense. So if I can go and get my bachelor's degree, which I did from Moody Bible Institute, and I'm able to stay home and be trained by my church, then I'm going to go ahead and do it. And not only did I do that, but then I got into our Bible Institute, where that, man, you really learn what to do. I didn't learn how to do ministry at Moody Bible Institute. All I, had, all I learned how to do at Moody was how to fight better doctrinally. That's all I learned how to do. I learned what other people believed, and I learned how to fight better. That's it. But when it came to here, I actually learned what to do and how to actually be successful according to God's ways of doing things. So if you really want to lead others and to be a leader for the Lord, then you need to be able to walk that path yourself. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. I love this verse. Paul says, you can follow me because I'm following Christ. Paul didn't say, follow me because I'm doing what's right. He says, no, be followers of me as I am also following Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. Follow, following someone is completely a-okay as long as they're following Jesus. If they're not following Jesus, then get the heck out of there. Even if you like them, even if you think that they're successful, forget it. If they're not following the Lord, then there's other things in their life you do not want to learn. And then take a look at Titus 2. This is really good. I love this one. Titus 2, verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Okay, I love this. Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, people often relegate to things that you can articulate or things that you can write down. But look at verse 2. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works." In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. See, what you see here is sound doctrine, according to verse 1, is not necessarily in the way that you articulate the truths of God. The best way, frankly, for you to articulate the truths of God is by living it out. Because everything just listed from verses 2 all the way through verse 8 are all actions. Because you have this doctrine, then your life will behave this way. Your decisions unfold that way because you believe these things. So sound doctrine always comes out in your life. And so you can't lead someone else unless you're actually living it out yourself. Okay, and then lastly, looking at all those things after taking the personal inventory of all that, are you attracted to someone that is a diligent servant? That they're humble and that they're honest and they're able to lead others? This is important and be honest about it. Are you truly attracted to someone that is a diligent servant, that they're humble, that they're honest, that they're able to lead others? And this is something that takes time because emotional growth, similar to spiritual growth, but emotional growth takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of time as, you, as someone makes decisions. This is not something that you can meet someone like one week, fall in love with them the next week, start dating them the week after that, and then plan on getting married for the rest of your life and everything's going to be just bliss. Like that's not how this operates. That's not how this works. The best way to do this is by watching a person and how they are. Not being crazy or weird. I'm not talking about, you know, being one of those sorts of people, people watchers. Um, although it can be fun to be people watchers. I used to do that at the mall back when it was, you know, free of COVID. Anyway, um, but when you start to see someone, like let's say there's someone that you're interested in. It's good to just stay back and get to know them as friends and be friends with them and see how they handle things. See how they handle the circumstances of life. 
See that how they handle their relationship with their parents or if they're having problems with some of their friends, how they handle themselves. To see how they do in discipleship and how faithful they are in discipleship. See how they are when it comes to activities that frankly are not the most fun activities, but they still come anyway just because they want to hang out with everybody else and be a minister and be a part of our youth ministry. See how they are at VBS and how they minister to little kids and how they love being around little kids and sharing the gospel. And I mean, see how they are on missions trips. See if they even go on missions trips. I mean, there's so many things you can take a look at objectively that can give you assurance about this person is someone that I should even begin considering. Most people don't even take the time to do that. It's all based on their emotions. So you need to ask yourself these questions. All right, next week we're going to be talking about the physical side. Which is everyone's favorite. It's always fun. What's that? No, you're not teaching that one. No. God forbid. <laughs> He's not teaching that one. All right. So to wrap things up, I'm going to close real quick with a word of prayer. Um, just go ahead and pray with the people around you real quick. Five minutes max. Andy's got an activity planned. Uh, so you're going to be doing something with him after you guys are done praying. So let's go ahead and pray really quick. Then you guys can pray together. And then uh, I'm entrusting you to Andrew Spate. Oh, amen. <laughs> but my wife will be here, so she'll she'll hold up. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together tonight, just to be in your word. I do pray that these things would really resonate uh, inside of all of our hearts. There are so many good things that have even been great reminders to me. Um, things that I need to just continually keep guard against and to shore up in my life. And um, God, just keep, keep helping us. I, I do pray we'd have a hard attitude of just letting you in and letting you have your way in our, in our lives and just saying, God, search me and try me and know me and lead me. And I, I, I just pray that would be the heartbeat here. I just pray if there's anyone struggling with anything that uh, you know what that is full well and that they would take it to your feet tonight. If there's anyone in here that is not really sure about their salvation, I pray that they would deal with that and that they would talk to, to you, that they would talk to somebody else that they trust about that. And if there's sin issues that are going on, God, I do pray that we would deal with those things as well. I want our camp this year to be very fruitful. And so we've got to start digging up these things now and really preparing the ground before you come in and sow the seed of your word. So help us with all that. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us the way you do. You are so good to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.